Good morning to each of you, and greet you in the name of Jesus this morning, the one who uh, empowers us, who blesses us with wisdom, that we don't, um, in our lives, need to make the mistake, like Joshua and the men of Israel did there in that Sunday school lesson, but that we can have that wisdom of God with us and be blessed. I'd like this morning to... uh, this message would be a little different probably than some messages I share. Um, just in thinking of this time of ordination, I would like this morning to just take a little time. This is going to be more of a teaching message. I guess all messages are teaching maybe, but I would like to um, spend a little time and go through what the Bible, what the New Testament teaches us in relation to um, qualifications for leadership. Brother Jordan referred to a few of these in the um, message last Sunday evening, and I'm sure that the brethren will be referring to some of these, at least um, in the messages later this week. But I just thought it would be good for us just to page through the Scriptures together and uh, review again what the Bible says in relation to qualifications for leadership in the church. Uh, First of all, I'll just read this verse, and then we'll turn to Acts 1. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So that was a call that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, made there to Timothy, that he was to commit the responsibility to faithful men who were going to be able to teach others. Turn with me now to Acts 1. I realize I'm going to have you paging through various scriptures this morning, but i just like to read these together. I'm not going to make a lot of comment on some of these, maybe a few things here and there for clarification. Just allow the Spirit of God to speak to us from these scriptures. Acts 1 and beginning of verse 15. And this is uh, the account of where Judas, who betrayed Christ, his apostleship was replaced. um, So that there was 12 again. And this scripture also is the pattern that we use for the lot when there is more than one who are, na- who, who are named um, as eligible for the ordination, uh, we use the lot to let the Lord decide between those who were called. Now, verse 15, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the prophet David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a seldoma, and that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, 
and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knows the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by a transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So like I said, this is the account that we, the pattern that we use uh, when there is more than one in letting the Lord decide which it is. Here there was two that were named, two that the, the brethren, the congregation felt were qualified for this work. And God chose through the lot to Matthias, and um, he took up that, that role. Now, uh, <clears throat> let's just turn back to um, Acts chapter 6. We have another account of, we could say, an ordination. Acts chapter 6, and this is where the, um, there was a need in the, in the churches there in, Jeros- in Jerusalem. And uh, the apostles uh, called the, the church together, and they decided to ordain seven deacons to fulfill the work that was needed. So I'd like to read verse, start, start at verse 1, read down to uh, verse 8. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. These, both of these accounts now, the one from Acts 1 and here from, from Acts chapter 5, shows us you know, God's plan in providing leadership and how that it was a tremendous blessing to the church. You think about... Um, the, the apostles there, and Matthias being added to that. We don't know a lot about him. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot. But it was it was that which was a, a blessing for the church. And here also with the seven deacons that were called, 
it was a blessing. It was a blessing for the church because you notice in verse seven that the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples were multiplied. And so there was there was a, a growth in the church. It was a blessing as these were called to these to this place of leadership. I would like now to take our attention to uh, Titus chapter one. Another scripture now that focuses a little more in relation to the qualifications for leadership. This, well, I'm not going to make a lot of distinction or any distinction this morning between the various levels of leadership or, or operations of leadership, whether it's deacon, minister, or bishop. The Bible has these given in mostly overlap. And so we're, we're going to basically uh, just keep them that way, um, not necessarily make a big distinction. Titus 1 and verse 4, we have Paul here writing to Titus, who was a younger man, who was, uh, had been called to be a bishop um, in the church, um, mostly in, in Crete is where he worked, but um, had various responsibility. And Paul is here giving him instructions. Now, so um, Titus 1 and verse 4. Paul here is writing to Titus, mine own son, not natural, physical, biological son, but son in in the faith. After the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed, appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may, may be able by sound doctrine, both um, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So here we notice the uh, some qualifications that is that are given in relation to leadership. He talks about ordaining elders, and then also the overseer or bishop role. And again, there's a lot of overlap, and so we're not making that distinction here this morning. But I would like to just paraphrase some of the things that are given here in relation to these qualifications. He talks in verse six about being blameless. This is not being with with uh, faultless but blameless in the sense that, that there is no issue of life in the, in the life of this person that is unresolved. In other words, blameless, not that in a perfection uh, aspect, but rather that, that there is there's nothing that can be laid at his feet as blame in, 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 in a, a life of consistency. It speaks here of the husband of one wife which I believe refers to a moral integrity that needs to be a part of the life of a leader. Again, it doesn't mean necessarily that there's never been any uh, any failures of any kind, 
but a man who has has had that moral integrity in his life, um, I think is involved here in relation to the principle of the husband of one wife. It speaks here of having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. I find this interesting because it is one of the qualifications that is given, and yet uh, we're not aware that Titus or Timothy were married men at the time that they were ordained. But um, it, I think it does show that where there are, there are children uh, involved in the life of a leader, that there is a, um, a, an importance that uh, the family is, is faithful in the sense that um, they're not accused, it says, of riot or unruly. Sometimes the question is raised, what about you know, when children as adults choose to go a different path, choose to go wrong? I believe that in the context of this, when there's children under the in the household, um, as you know, as children, not adults, but um, that there should be a faithfulness there. What happens at times when in when children are adults and have a, a choice to make and choose to go wrong? that is different than having unruly children under our household or under our roof as a leader. In verse 7, it talks about, again, blameless as the steward of God. In other words, a spiritual faithfulness in responsibility. I think that is involved. And it also speaks here of not self-willed. And there can be, again, this uh, important part of uh, of being of having conviction, like Brother Jordan mentioned Sunday night, of a man who can stand on his own two feet against against various winds and and uh, influences, but at the same time not being self willed, and this this can happen um, in 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 life where where if a leader becomes determined that it's going to be his way. And no one else's way. But self-willed is, it's, it's my way, not working together. So there has to be that relationship, that working together as, as a team. And, um, and that is so important. It also says not soon angry. Or, as we could say, quick-tempered. There's a lot of stresses that come in the life of a leader. There can be a lot of, there can be opposition. There can be, um, uh, there can be a lot of uh, mental and emotional stresses that come. And as he says here, that it's important that, that not soon angry or not quick-tempered. And, um, you know, the person that would fly off the handle easily or, or had that rise, rise up. I think that's what it's referring to, not soon angry. Not given to wine or that which was, would detract or, or lose our concentration on spiritual truth. It says no striker. And this thought, uh, this word, it means that which would be quick to, to, to push back or react. A, a quick reactionary type person would be the kind that would be a striker. When something is said or done, it's like quick reaction. Um, and that's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. A challenge to learn that. I, um, you probably heard me give this story over the years, but I'll give it again. Remember the story of the um, 
older deacon after a service was standing in the middle aisle after church and a brother came up to him and had a lot to say to him about something that had happened with another brother and you know this needs to be taken care of and this is this is terrible and this situation just needs to be needs to be handled quickly and um the older deacon listened and didn't say much and finally the brother he was you know kind of agitated and he said so what are you going to do about this he said well first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to go home and i'm going to get on my knees and going to pray about it first and then from there i'll seek the direction of god of what to do next and you think about that in relation to, you know, I don't know exactly you know, all the names of people involved in that story, but, but you know, he was not a striker. He did not strike back. It was, um, there's that, that, yes, there's times to do things, things need to be done, but not, um, not to push back, not to be that, that person that's reactionary. So that's what it means in relation to a striker. Not given to filthy lucre. In other words, looking for uh, compensation, looking for um, uh, in it for what I get out of it. That could be money. It's probably the primary meaning. It could also be position. The one that is called to this to this role, it, it is not not a position uh, in relation to authority or power. Yes, we know some of that goes with the office, but it has more to do with with that servant mentality and. And there's this this role involves sacrifice, and it involves a lot of sacrifice, and and I would say most individuals who are called to leadership roles in the church are surprised at what it's going to cost them as they get into that role. Whether it's time, it's going to be money. I remember one of the bishops telling me when I was in the lot, um, he said. You might as well just forget about uh, retiring as a rich man. And I, I, I just—it kind of struck me at the time. But what he—and what he meant was that if you're going to be successful in this work, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a lot. And and that—that that is a part of the work. It is a part of of the sacrifice. And so, it, not given to filthy lucre means that. You have to be prepared to sacrifice and to uh, to serve with without that expectation of personal gain. There's nothing in it personally for us. We're not we are not to be given to filthy lucre. It says verse eight: a lover of hospitality. It requires a relationship. With people, um, it's probably I admit one of the things I've struggled with myself over the years. Not that I don't enjoy company, but I'm not an extrovert. I'm a, I'm an introvert, and so it's something I've had. I always have to work on. I'm a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. It has sometimes been said that the character of a person can be known known by uh, when you know who they admire, who they look up to. It tells you something about that person. And here I believe Paul was referring to that. A lover of good men. Who do you admire? Who, who are your, your heroes? Who are the ones that you look up to? A lover of good men. Sober. That The uh, thought there is, of course, self-control. Just, holy, temperate, all those things. 
again, relate to personal character. And verse 9, holding, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, there's always that link to our history, to what we have been taught, and moving on from there in relation to the future. And he also speaks of being able to use sound doctrine, which is the basis of our belief and practice. Sound doctrine, to be able to use that sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so the um, there's just a, a lot here to, to think about. Um, just back up for a few word meanings. Unruly there, verse 6, in relation to faithful children. Unruly means... Um, just simply means disobedient or insubordinate. Uh, the word temperate means, as we normally would use that word, uh, self-control. So uh, let's turn now to First uh, Timothy 3. And just notice some of these will be the same. Some of these will be a little different. First Timothy 3. I'm going to read uh, this chapter, 1 to 16. This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. A bishop then must be. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. There could be uh, sometimes confusion about what this means in the beginning of chapter 3, this first verse. If a man desire the office of a bishop, or you could say office of leadership, he desireth a good work. What does that actually mean? I'll give you what I think it means. In the, and if you look it up in some of the original language, uh, some of the early church fathers, what they, they thought it meant. I believe that it means here that Paul was, is referring to the fact that there would be some who may desire a position. There may be some who would desire the office of leadership in a way. And, he, and and so the thought here in verse 1 is when he says, if, you desire, if a man desires this office, he desires a good work. Now, in the context, it really meant martyrdom. In the context, it really would have, gone, it would have meant martyrdom. So think about that, you know, from that setting to our setting. And that was even true in the Anabaptist times. A man that was ordained a leader in the church was the prime target of the Anabaptist catchers. If they could get the leaders, and they would, they'd pick them off, one at, sometimes one at a time. You know that Michael Sattler was only like 26 or 27 years old when he, he was martyred? And we still read his writings and quote him today. I think it was, I think it was 27, maybe 28, I'm not sure, but very young. Um, and others as well. Conrad Garebel, Felix Mons. Those early leaders were young. Men of Simons was the rare exception as, as a leader in the church who died a natural death. He was never martyred. He was never executed, and uh, though he was chased all his life. So that was a rare exception. So you think about the whole context, you know, that, the, that to say that if a man desired the office, that he desired the good work. Um, I think that this is actually said, it was actually a saying, because Paul said it was a true saying, but I think he was saying it also, you could say, tongue-in-cheek, as we say sometimes. Because for those who would have desired a position, he said, okay, if yes, it may be a good work, but then this is what's going to be required. Um, just back again to um, 
what I said before about in relation to the Anabaptist days, you know, when one leader was executed within usually days or weeks, they would be holding a secret service somewhere to ordain another leader. And they would add another one. If you um, want to read something interesting sometime, read the, the letter that Menno Simons wrote to um, Leonard Bowen's widow, not sorry, widow, his wife. She, he was ordained, he was called to leadership. And Leonard's wife wrote a letter to Menno Simons, who had ordained Leonard, wrote a letter to Menno Simons and begged him to relieve, to release her husband from the call of leadership because she knew he was a targeted man and he probably wasn't going to live very long. And in her distress and thinking about all of this and losing her husband, him serving in the church, she wrote a letter begging Minna Simons to release her husband from that call. It's an interesting letter. Minna Simons wrote back to her. And he did not agree, of course, to release her husband from that call because he said it's a call of God, and I can't do that. I can't, I can't release him from that. But his, his, his letter to her was to, uh, to accept it as the will of God and to serve as long as she could alongside her husband in the work for as long as God would allow and that, there, that God would, would bless their work. And uh, the fact is that it was not, that it was just for time. And then there's the whole aspect of eternity. And um, I don't know the, all the, um, I didn't, didn't go back and research how long Leonard Bowen lived after that, but um, and how long he served. Um, I believe that he did die a martyr's death, but, um, but, but that is in the context, you know, of, a, of a, you think about it. And that's why I think Men of Simons in his writings said one time that a man should flee, and this is in relation to pride and being lifted up in, in a position, but he said a man should flee the, the office of leadership like a man would flee hell itself. That's the words he used. Um, because of the responsibility. Um, I remember one of the bishops saying, the ordination service, when I was ordained that, in the message that time, um, he said that, um, he made the comment, he said, some people say sometimes, it's been said, when a man is called to the the place of leadership, that he he cuts his chances in half, uh, he cuts his chances of heaven in half. That was a saying that it sometimes had been said. And I remember Brother Jesse Newishwander. He was the one preaching that day, and he said, "I don't necessarily believe that," but he said, "Here is why I believe that saying is sometimes repeated." And that is because of the responsibility that is laid upon a person in leadership, not only to answer for your own soul or as a father, answering for your, your family, your wife, your, your children, but also as a leader, you also then have to answer for your congregation. And he said, that's why it said sometimes, you know, the increase of accountability and what you need to answer for. You know, from that scripture, um, um, they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So there is that accountability responsibility. So you put all that now in the context of the scripture. If a man desires this office, he desires a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing 
to work in the kingdom of God. And we all should desire to work in the kingdom of God. But this is the responsibility then that is called. Now, verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, uh, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon will purchase to themselves a good degree in great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of, of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. A few things here uh, in relation to this, this scripture. Um, sober would refer to self-control. Uh, we talked about striker. We're not going to necessarily uh, talk about that more. But someone has said the size of a man can be measured by what it takes to upset him. I think that's interesting. Um, and with the pressures in leadership, that is, that is important. A, a, brawl, a brawler refers to uh, not fighting back or a person that is argumentative. Um, a brawler is someone who just like to pick a fight or just like argumentative. Just, maybe you know people that you know, I've met already that they just argue for argument's sake. It's like, um, you know, what's the point? That's sort of the definition of that. Again, filthy lucre for personal gain. Uh, novice here, verse 6, not a novice. Um, that which it would be like a new Christian or a young Christian or an immature person because they view the office wrong. They view the, the calling wrong. It says they will be lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So it's someone who has had uh, some experience or at least some maturity in their lives. Double tongue, uh, verse 8. Uh, deacon be grave, not double-tongued. That's pretty simple to understand that one. You know, telling two different stories. You know, not uh, keeping the story straight. Say something to one person, something different to someone else. That's double-tongued. Uh, slanderers, we use that word. And here it would be used as a false accuser. 
The two words uh, grave and gravity that are used in these scriptures uh, basically refer to honesty. Um, from the original Greek, that's what that word would mean. It basically be honest and honesty. Um, we also notice, again, um, verse 12, well, back up to um, verse 11, talks about the wife, even so must their wives be grave. In other words, honest, not accusers or slanderers. Um, talking about people is in a slanderous way, sober and faithful in all things. And so there's going to be, it shows a very supportive wife in relation to qualifications for leadership. A wife that understands her place. And I find it interesting if you back up to chapter 2 here, right before he talks about qualifications for leadership, um, if you back up into chapter 2, I will, uh, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. In other words, uh, reserve, being reserved, and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the Woman, learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And then he goes right into the whole thought here in relation to the qualifications for leadership. So it shows here, I believe, you know, the place of the wife as um, in thinking of her support of her husband in a leadership role, and um, and and to uh, to to understand that where Christ wants her to be in that place. Now I'd like to uh, just go to chapter First uh, Timothy four and verse. Um, Verse um, uh, 1 here, uh, sorry, I think I have that wrong. Uh, sorry, Second uh, Timothy 4, verse 1. I'd like to look at a, a few things here. As far as the work of the minister, and this is the, the charge that is given in relation to this work. Says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, in other words, the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. 
where henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Notice um, the charge that is given in the calling of a minister to preach the word, that primary charge of sharing the scriptures. There's also the call to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. We have uh, those given in verse 2. And also, then, um, it's like to point out in verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and uh, there will be those who will turn away from the, from the truth. And a, a, a leader must be, have the strength to face the disappointments of those who turn away. I distinctly remember the first time I had to face that reality of a young person that turned their back on Christ and the church and how devastating that was. And I remember an older brother coming to me and saying, and to help me understand that, he said, you have to be strong. Learn from those lessons of what we maybe could have done better, but then you have to move on. You have to go beyond that. Um, because if you, if he said, he said, if you let this destroy you, you're not going to be there for others who are de- counting on you in the work. There is disappointments. The same as parents face disappointments when young people choose a different path, choose to go against the truth. And the same is true with leadership. There's a pain of heart that goes with that of those who choose wrong. And a leader has to be able to face that disappointment and move on. It says to watch, to endure, to evangelize in verse 5. All part of, of the work of a leader, the watchman, warning of danger, the watchman warning of, of things that could cause havoc in the church, to that perception, to see where the danger is, what it is, to endure afflictions. We talked about that. And also to do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of the call uh, to, of the ministry. I'd like to uh, just back up now to Second Timothy um, I think I, um, verse, uh, uh, sorry, First Timothy four and verse twelve. First Timothy four. Well, I'm going to back up a little further. First Timothy 4, uh, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times, some, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience here with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now notice these verses. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So he's speaking here in relation to Timothy as a, as a young minister. But refuse prof, profane and old wives' fables, 
and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy prophecy may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Just a few thoughts here. In relation to the work of a minister, it involves uh, being an example of the believer. An example of the believer. And that's why we believe that it's important that the, 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 those who are called to a place of leadership live out what the, what the congregation, what the church uh, believes and practices. Otherwise, there's going to be a conflict. And, um, and so the, the leader must be that example of living out the truth that he preaches, the truth that he teaches. We talked uh, before we read about having a good report of them that are without. It means that our, our life, our, our way of life, Outside of church, outside of the pulpit, outside of what you see maybe on Sundays, has to match with what we preach and teach. And that's a challenge sometimes. But that, that's so important. Those that are without in the community to see that there's not this change and not this, you know, from Sunday versus every day and all those things. But there's a, there's a basic consistency there. I think that's important. You know, and a good report of them that are without uh, also would include, you know, whether it's in business deals or whatever it is, all those things must be consistent with the truth that the man preaches. To say that's never a struggle, we're human, but we, that, that is the, the ideal, that is the goal. Now, it also talks here about, he says, give attendance to reading. I remember one older minister saying, telling me after I was ordained, he said, um, you're talking about, you're talking about uh, the time and the energy that goes into studying for a message. He said, I'll tell you something. The more you read good books, good reading, the more you read, the easier it will be to preach. I never forgot that. And, I, and Paul here refers to that. He said, give attendance to reading. And some enjoy reading more than others. But I, I will say it's been true. I know every once in a while my wife will say, well, you know, you haven't read a lot lately. I think she thinks sometimes I maybe could brush up on my preaching. It's a nice way, of, and I appreciate that encouragement because it's true. She can tell that because she knows me very well. And, and you know, that little nudge, you know, that it has to do with with the, the source that you draw from in preaching, 
If you don't keep putting in, you're not going to have much to take back out and pass on to others. It's just really that simple. Charles Spurgeon said one time, uh, it's actually in a book, um, that's uh, a collection of his lectures that he gave to his um, young ministers in his setting there. It's called Lectures to My Students, a book that another minister gave me after I was ordained. Um, it's something to read. Read. Uh, but Charles Spurgeon said in that book, he said, how does the miller give out flour to the man that comes to his door after hours in the evening? He said he does it because he has kept his flour bins full. And the point is, if you don't keep that heart full, you don't keep that flow, that flow into your heart and mind from good reading, you're going to be shallow. It's not going to have the depth. And um, that's always a challenge uh, for the time it takes. But reading is important. And Paul referred to that. Give attendance to reading. Paul enjoyed books. How do you know that? How do you know Paul enjoyed reading? To bring the parchments and especially the books. Very important. I remember one, someone said one time, well, I just don't enjoy reading, you know. And I remember another brother said, well, then you're just going to have to learn to enjoy it. It Exhortation. Another important part of this. Doctrine. Talked about that. Meditation, verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. In preparing messages, and this is something that I struggle with, deal with, to take the time for meditation. We live in a world where it's all fast, you know, um, convenient and this and that, and you can maybe throw something together pretty quickly. But if it comes out of a warm heart, it's going to come from a heart that is meditated. That takes time, and it takes quietness. It takes that relationship with, with God. All right, just one more. First Peter 5. First Peter 5. Um, 1 to 5, just the work of a shepherd is referred to here. First Peter 5. 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. 
Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Hear the call to feed the flock of God. That, that involves the reading. It involves the meditation. It involves that relationship with God. It involves understanding the flock and the needs of the flock and knowing what is where the struggles are and what is needed so that the flock is fed from the scriptures. He says, not by constraint, but willingly. And this is uh, an important part of it. There's a sense in which very few people, I think, very few normal people aspire to an office of leadership. And I think most of that is because when you know what it involves, nobody would choose it. Um, what another is sorry to go back here. This brings back a lot of memories, but one of the things that I remember Brother Jesse shared um, in the message of my ordination was he said he thinks it is good that God gave us no honorable way out of this calling. There's no honorable way out of this calling. And he said, he thinks that the reason for that is, he said that all of us would have found it by now if there was a way out. Because in the human perspective, you would not choose it. But while there's that side to it, there's the other side to it, where Paul here says, not by constraint, but willingly. And that's why one of the questions usually that is asked when there's more than one in the lot or even when there's just one that has been named, one of the questions that are asked is, will you take up this work willingly or some, some kind of wording like that? But are you willing to accept this work? Because we are to take it willingly. Yes, it's a call of God, not that we would choose it, but to take that work willingly. The... Uh, <clears throat> I just like now in closing, it's got longer than I thought it would, sorry. But in closing, I would like to just think a little bit, just a few thoughts about faith and fear. And you think about the whole aspect of God's call, the working of Christ in the brotherhood. There's always a sense of uncertainty and the unknown that can create fear in our hearts. And while this is a solemn time, and we've looked at these scriptures, and there's a solemn side to this, we understand that. But how do we understand the will of God in relation to faith? You know, when we surrender our lives to Christ, when you became a Christian, and you made those baptismal vows that you're going to be true to Christ for the rest of your life, that's open-ended. And none of us have any idea what that call or what that commitment is going to mean. What that call is going to require of us. None of us know that. But that's an open-ended commitment to Jesus Christ. And then there's that aspect of faith, of course, in that, that as we stay surrendered to Jesus Christ and serve him, regardless of where he takes us and what he calls us to, to fulfill, 
That's God's plan. That's God's purpose, and he will enable. The most important thing is to still be in the, in the plan and the will of God in our lives. And so that is um, important. And there's the, the whole aspect of faith. And again, I remember something that was said many years ago around the time of my ordination was one of the, one of the brethren said that, you know, the brother who is called will have had faith and believes he has faith. But he said it's, there's going to be a, a tremendous need for growth in that faith to be successful in the work. And it does require that. A man on his knees before God, wrestling with God, is a part of this work. And so there's a need for faith. You know, the, the future spiritual good of the church does lay heavy on our hearts. And that's why we are concerned. That's why we pray. That's why we, we seek the will and, the, and the, the face of God. Like Brother Jordan said last Sunday evening, he said that ordinations are watershed moments in the life of the church. And that is true. But I'd like to think of it more now from the, you know, from the positive side. The assurance is that Christ is the head of his body, the church. And so while, yes, I have some human apprehensions and things in relation to thinking about everything, and you, I'm sure, do, do as well, but I know Jesus Christ and you know Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the church. And when we are emptied of self and our own agendas, and all the things that might, you know, the human factors, and submit ourselves to, like, totally open to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we don't need to be afraid. We just keep moving forward. I've said already, you know, I'm not so concerned about God's work and the Holy Spirit's work and, and the work of Jesus Christ in, in the life of the church at ordination time. I'm not concerned about that as long as the human factor is in place in relation to our submission and surrender and openness. And like I said, empty the self that God can have free course, as the scripture says, among us. Matthew 16, verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so that we move forward in faith, knowing Christ, knowing the power of the Holy Spirit in the choosing of leadership. The other thing to remember is that God is not looking for a finished man. You know, you read all these qualifications, it's like, nobody measures up. But God is not looking for a finished man in the work. After being in the ministry almost 36 years, I am still an unfinished man. I still have so much to learn. We never get done with that. We have to stay committed. But God is not looking for a finished man. But he's looking for a man that has all the basic qualifications that the scripture points out, and we talked about those, displayed in his life. The evidence is there. Will he have a lot to learn? Yes. Will he have some bumps along the way? Yes. But he needs to to stay committed and have that, that teachable, moldable, and humble spirit. And then God can bless it. So this... This week, I, I trust that we can feel that faith aspect whenever there's those apprehensions and fears want to push up in our hearts. We know Jesus Christ, and let's make sure that our spirits are communicating with his Holy Spirit. 
that we are in his will, emptied of self, and honestly seeking the will in the face of God. Let's continue in prayer for ourselves. I think fasting is also an important part of this. And um, also pray for Brother Steve and Brother Paul as they lead out this week that God's Holy Spirit would move in each of our hearts to reveal his will. That's our desire. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit in our hearts, not only individually, but also collectively as a people of God, as a congregation. And Father, we look forward to your work among us. We look forward to your revelation among us, whatever that revelation will be. We just pray that each of us would be emptied of self, emptied of our own agendas, our own wants and wishes, but allow thee to move in a very clear and direct way for your, for your um, blessing upon us. And we just thank you that you have given us the way in which we can move forward under your direction and, and have, the congregation can be blessed. And so, Father, we pray your blessing upon each of us here in the coming days and the plans of the week as we, uh, we seek your will in prayer and fasting and, and desire nothing else, Father, but that your perfect will would be done. And uh, we ask for your wisdom in our thoughts and our um, contemplations, our meditations, that again your Holy Spirit would just move among us for your glory and the, the good of the church. And so we just pray that you will continue to bless us. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.